Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mature Audiences Mayhem Podcast. My name is Glenn King. It is my distinct honor to bring you this podcast where we talk about the things that other podcasts either will not or cannot talk about. Things that are intended for mature audiences only. And today, as we kick off season two of the podcast, I have a very special guest. And let me just set this up by saying, around five years ago, I was drunk tweeting the Royal Rumble, and some people started tweeting me, and they said, okay, Mr. Wrestling Fan, who is the greatest wrestler of all time? And I said, oh, well, that's easy. It's really an indisputable fact that would be, the greatest wrestler of all time would be Chris Jericho. And being passionate wrestling fans, or being passionate fans, as all wrestling fans are, a few of them pushed back, and we had a little bit of an argument, and I won because it is an indisputable fact that Chris Jericho is the greatest of all time. And let me explain by saying, and not just because he's sitting across the table <laughs> from me here, uh, but let me explain. So if you want to argue with me that Reggie White is the greatest NFL player of all time, I would point out to you that he is the greatest at one thing. He was the greatest at uh, attacking the quarterback of all time. When you talk about anybody and you say he's the greatest of all time in his sport, you have to look at his overall body of work. So, for example, you can say to me, there's somebody better than Chris Jericho at doing promos. Maybe, maybe The Rock. You know, Jericho being top one or two, but maybe The Rock's better. Uh, maybe you can say there's somebody better at uh, in-ring performance. Maybe Shawn Michaels. Maybe I could argue that Jericho can do a few more things in the ring than Shawn Michaels. Uh, maybe you can argue that there's somebody who carried a company on his back a little bit more than Chris Jericho. You could say that about Hogan, maybe. I can argue that Chris Jericho has carried multiple companies on his back. You cannot argue that there is anyone who has uh, developed a character and then refreshed and redeveloped the character over as long of a period as Jericho and in as many ways as Jericho to keep people entertained. You can throw out the name Foley. But I'm going to tell you that he didn't develop his characters as many times as Jericho. And when you look at these other guys, you know, like The Rock was basically The Rock. He only developed one character and then he, he made it something great. Stone Cold was basically one guy. Hulk Hogan was basically one, well, two characters throughout his career. If you look at the overall body of work, there's only one name who has excelled in every aspect of the business at the completely elite level. And that man is with me today. He is the greatest wrestler of all time. He is the best in the business. He is an author. He is a film star. He is the lead singer of a band. He is the man of a thousand and four holds. Armbar. He is Chris Jericho. <laughs> what, a, uh, what an intro that was, man. You know, it's funny that you say that because um, you know it's not a... To me, to say those things, it's cool to hear them. But like you know, Wayne Gretzky did not call himself the Great One. Yeah, uh, other people do. So there's always going to be an eternal debate. To me, Shawn Michaels is the greatest of all time. For me, for what I for what I like in wrestling and, and for what I was influenced by. But the one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is the longevity of of, of Jericho. Not to speak in the third person, but how many monumental events I've been associated with. And even now, with the kind of the, the introduction of AEW, which is, you know, as we're recording this podcast today, we sold out the first TV show, 10,000 tickets in three hours. Once again, people are saying, like, how is this happening? 
people are looking for an alternative, looking for another uh, another option in wrestling, and now AEW is giving people that. And if it wasn't for Jericho being involved, maybe we didn't get the TNT TV deal. Maybe we don't have John Moxley, who I recruited, or um, some of the other guys that, that, you, that Sammy Guevara, Dean Malenko, a couple of guys that you haven't even seen yet. So I think that maybe not the greatest of all time for all the reasons that you said, but maybe maybe for the the, the the best longevity at staying at the top level and going through all these different eras and influencing quite a few of them. I, I, I don't know if there's too many people that have done that as, as, as much as I have. I would completely agree. And, and I think that's the best way to look at it. Is again, yeah. You can't just take any snapshot of time. You got to look at the, the, the body of work. Like you said, that to me is, is, is the key right there. Exactly. Uh, all right, so people just usually want me to describe the environment here. We are in Jericho's um, very posh Beverly Hills hotel room. The one thing I want people – I think is interesting. So one time I was in an airport next to Ric Flair, and I, I, I said to myself, boy, he's a little smaller than I thought. You're bigger. You're way bigger than yeah. sometimes people perceive. I, I think are. a lot of times people um... – I think they didn't perceive because I was, you know, a cruiserweight and, and that sort of thing back in the day. You also have to realize when I first started wrestling, I was small because it was about six foot eight guys, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior. Those those guys were at their peak. And then <clears throat> as the years go by, when I started in WCW, I was a cruiserweight because you still had Luger and Sting and Hogan and Hall and Nash. And you stand next to those guys, everybody's small. But now in this day and age, um, I'm one of the bigger guys on the crew, just the way that the business has evolved. Yeah. So I think because people expected me to be so small because I used to stand next to Kevin Nash. Now when you're standing next to Marco Stunt, I'm the big show. So um, a lot of times though, people will say like, geez, uh, I thought you'd be bigger than that. And I always go, I'm actually not even this big. And they always look kind of weird and kind of wander away. Like, what is he talking about? <laughs> well, let's talk about your history in the wrestling business a little bit. I want to talk about you as a heel. Because regardless of whether you're making a movie or a book or you're telling a story of any kind, you anything that involves a hero, you need a good heel. You have nothing unless you have a good um, antagonist for your protagonist. Will you please read this quote? Of Chris Jericho's for me. I want to take his mask the same way a bully takes a kid's milk money, whether he likes milk or not. He takes it because he can. It's the act of taking something from someone that turns the bully on. Chris Jericho talking about being a heel in the best in the world. Yeah, that was yeah. Uh, when, I, when I was talking to Vince McMahon about um, wanting to do a, a, a mask uh, you know, take, take Rey Mysterio's mask. And Vince was like, well, nobody cares about masks in America. And I said, it doesn't matter if they care about it or not. Meanwhile, we're selling a thousand of them a night. People care about the mask. He's a real life superhero. And he goes, well, why would you want the mask? And I say, because the heel wants what someone else has. It's like, like, like I just said, I remember when I was a kid, a bully took my bike and then basically like threw it down a cliff. Like didn't, you know, down a hill, didn't care about the bike didn't even want the bike, but he just took it for me to be a dick. Yeah. That's what a good heel should do. I want it because it's yours, and then once I get it, I'll just throw it in the garbage. Yes. You know, it's, 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 it's one of those things where it's a lot easier to make people hate you than it is to make them like you in wrestling at first. But when you play a really good villain, a really bad villain, shall we say, you become so entertaining and so intriguing that people start to like you. And think about every great villain 
in the history of entertainment, not just wrestling, if you're talking about Darth Vader, right. the Terminator, uh, Hannibal Lecter, Freddy Krueger, the Joker, right. they always end up being good guys in the second or third movie because they're so entertaining. I mean, by the time Friday the 13th Part 3 or 4 came around, like, you want him to kill these kids because they're idiots. The most, the best guy is Freddy Krueger. <laughs> yes. You know? Right. So, and, that, and that's the thing with wrestling. And, and when you're talking, like, for me as a heel, especially around that time frame, 2008 to 2010, I was able to sustain this massive heat for two years because I refused to do anything that people would like. I wouldn't allow them to make Chris Jericho merchandise. How could you not let them make – do they sell you know thousands of dollars of T-shirts a night? I don't care. I don't need some guy buying a T-shirt that says Jericho on it and sitting in the crowd when people are supposed to be booing me and wearing my shirt. So no, no merch at all. And they're like, it's going to cost you money. I said, no. You know how I'm going to make my money is by being in the main event of every pay-per-view as the, the antagonist. Right. That's where I'm going to make my money. I remember I tagged with a big show and I wouldn't allow us to make merch together. And he's like, well, what are we going to do? I said, what are we doing is we're main event against DX for the next two months. That's where we're going to make our money. And I think that's one thing about being a heel in wrestling is you really have to commit to it because wrestling is unlike any other sport. It's neither fish nor fowl. It's not reality show. It's not sport. It's a combination of the two. You play Chris Jericho on the show. I'm also Chris Jericho in real life, but there's a little bit of Jericho in both, but one is to the extreme on A, the other is extreme on B. It's like Seinfeld. Play Jerry Seinfeld on the show Seinfeld. Right. It's not really the same guy, but there's elements of him uh, in that character that are in his real persona, and that's why it works so well. The best characters in wrestling are your real-life personas turned up to 10. Uh-huh. But then when you're... Talking to fans and some dad is saying, come on, man, please sign mm-hmm. this for my kid. And you're supposed to be uh, a heel mm-hmm. and you're staying in character. Mm-hmm. What does that do to you mentally? It, it, it took me to a dark place. It's, it's interesting because right around the time, like I said, my, my biggest heel run was 2008, 2010 to 2010. If you're a wrestling fan, it's when I uh, worked against Shawn Michaels. It's when I worked against Rey Mysterio for The Mask. It's when yeah. me and Big Show were a tag team. Those are kind of the three pillars of that. Um, but I was in a dark place. And I remember because around that time is when Heath Ledger played the Joker. It was still the best performance of any Joker with the possible session of Jack Nicholas, but they're two different styles. Jack Nicholson, sorry. Jack Nicholson, the golfer, played the Joker once at a Halloween party. Um, but the... Where does he get those toys was the line. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. love that, Jack Nicholson. But, 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 you know, why so serious? Boom. Kills the guy with a pencil to the eye. The, to yeah. the Joker. But Heath Ledger apparently dropped so deep into that performance that he couldn't get out of it right. and took a lot of sleeping pills and then died as a result. That's what people say. could be a myth. But to me, I understand that because I would come out of the ring after, you know, people, you know, booing and I got hit with a D battery one night and they, there was a, a glow stick riot where they were tossing glow sticks at me and there was people hitting the ring trying to beat me up. And I would come out of the ring and walk through the backstage where everyone's sitting watching and just walk right down the hall into a corner by myself to just get out of this. Like you'd come out just like, ah, just, ah, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. I was so dropped into the character as, as a performer, as an actor, that sometimes it was hard to get out of it. Wow. And that's something that, you know, to be a, a true heel in wrestling is very hard because you really have to be a little bit warped to have people – chanting you suck and not from a fun standpoint from like we fucking hate this guy you know um 
I mean, I got attacked on the street a couple of times. You can go online and see me basically take on a whole crowd in the Victoria, B.C. parking lot of the arena because the cops wouldn't, wouldn't do anything. And that's people that really want to kill you, which is hard these days. In the 80s, 70s, it happened all the time. People would get stabbed and they'd set your car on fire and that sort of stuff. I think at this time frame of Jericho, 8 to 10, 2008, like I said, that might have been the last bastion of people – still wanting to inflict physical harm on me because of the character that I played, which to them was a thousand percent real. Yeah. No, I, I look, I hated you, not the person. Sure. The um, character. Because I've never, I mean, to me, I've always been able to understand that it's actors playing it. But when you punched Shawn Michaels' uh, wife, yeah. I fucking hated you. I mean, I was like, geez. Well, and, the thing, and, the, and the thing about that is it's what you would call a happy accident. And what I mean by that is obviously the idea was for me to punch Sean's wife. And I've been working for 18 years at the time. I know how to throw a punch. I know how to do it, right? Yeah. Whatever happened, I zigged when I should have zagged. But the the, the, the all the f- fruit lining up, she zagged when she should have zigged. And dude, I, I popped her. Like I, Like you heard that. There's a sound. That's the sound that I heard. And I felt like a... Like if I would have put a gummy bear, a gummy worm up against the wall and hit it, you could feel like a, like you feel the lip basically not explode, but you feel it, right? And when she went down, I mean, dude, I was so, so, felt so bad, but I got to play the part, you know? I got to act like, well, actually, the cool thing about that was that Vince McMahon, the boss, told me, you have to act remorseful. You can't act like you don't care. Like if you realize like, you you really fucked up this time. And that was the genius of it. Where you see me, you can tell I'm really worried. Like, oh, I'm so in trouble now. But in real life, I thought, oh, I'm so in trouble now. Because Sean's insane. And he's going to kill me. And, and when I went backstage, he, to his credit, he didn't attack me, which I've expected him to. And I was planning on letting him, you know, because she was all right. But she just had a little cut. Didn't lose any teeth. It was fine. But what you just said, people now hated me right because it took things to the next level yeah right this is wrestling we wanted to see yes sean michaels kick your because ass. you knew you, you you saw me punch her i punched her to the, in the face right so anybody that's watching wrestling at that point in time we had such a rivalry it was like listen we know wrestling's a show but those guys are real that's real and if anybody ever punched my wife daughter aunt grandmother whatever i would fucking kill them that took it from a great feud to an all-time classic. Thankfully, she didn't get hurt. And in the end, we were like, that actually was really cool that it worked out. But that moment in time was one of the worst moments of my career that ended up making us both a lot of money. All right. Let's clear something up for the listeners. This is me throwing away the plan a bit here. But um, you punch people, and you have ways of making it not – It'd be as as uh, powerful as a punch from Mike Tyson normally, et cetera. But when you hit somebody in the face of any kind, I mean, people at home, go try this. Pop yourself under the chin real quick, lightly, and see how that feels. You guys are really hitting each other to some degree. Well, I mean, it's show business, right? So there's a certain art form to it. And, and, and once again, like a magician telling you how he does his tricks, I'm not going to do that. But it's something that you work on quite a bit because in wrestling – and this is something in this day and age, after doing this for 29 years in October, the foundations and fundamentals of being a great wrestler have not changed. But a lot of guys haven't spent the time 
to 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 focus on it and, and and do that. There's a lot of flips and flops and flies, and that's great. But if you can't lock up properly, if you yeah. can't throw a punch properly, it's gonna look like shit because that's what people really feel. It's like if I chop your chest and you hear that sound and hear that smack and see the red mark, everyone goes, ooh, I felt that. If you throw a lame-looking punch, nah, it doesn't look real. If you throw a great punch and somebody sells it properly, that's how you get people to believe. So there's an art form to it. Now, having said that, you don't want to hurt anybody. Sometimes, as we just spoke about with Sean's wife, Rebecca, it happens. And it happens more often than you think because we're human beings. We're, we're trained professionals, but... You take a stiff shot once yeah. in a while. You get cut open. You get a black eye. You know that's that's just the the nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. Um, the other time that I truly hated you or hated your character was the bullying of the legends. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean it, the story without leading up to to WrestleMania. I can't remember which one it was. Um, it's right when the movie The Wrestler was was really popular. Yeah, and Mickey Rourke. Was actually I was actually going to wrestle Mickey Rourke at WrestleMania. That was the plan. Everything was agreed upon. The only thing was that we were going to wait until after the Oscars to announce it because they didn't want anything messing with the, with the Oscars. Mickey uh, had a couple cocktails, went on the red carpet for, I think, the SAG Awards and said, you know, hey, Chris Jericho will see you at WrestleMania. Now, of course, I'm always the last to know anything. I get back. I think it was Royal Rumble in Detroit. I went back to the dressing room. I got a message from my cousin Chad. Why is Mickey Rourke talking about you on the red carpet? I go, what are you talking about? Mickey Rourke, what are you talking about? Fast forward, uh, he announced it. Everyone picks up on it. His agents flip out and say, there's no way you're doing it. Because I guess a couple years prior, Eddie Murphy was up for the Oscar for the movie Dream Girls. Yeah. But right, and this, I got this from Inside Hollywood. Uh, here, here's a scoop. Uh, and and right before the Oscars, the movie, was it Norbert? came out. Oh, yeah. We he played was in a fat suit. Fat suit, like a, like a <laughs> right. cliched, super fat black lady. Yeah. And I guess, like, Hollywood was mortified. It was, like, so, you know, like I said, stereotype and yeah. very racist, you know. Very un-PC. un-PC. And yeah. I guess when they saw that, the rumor is that we went, we can't give an Oscar to a guy who's starring in Norbert right now. And he didn't get the Oscar. Same thing with, with Mickey Rourke. They're like, you can't be associated with the scumbags in the WWE. So they pulled him from the match. Vince sent me on Larry King to do a face-to-face interview with with Mickey where um, he said, try and get him to accept the match. And I went hard. You know, I don't don't respect you. You're a coward. And you could see him. He was sitting there smiling because his agents told him to. But I can tell. He's like, I'm going to fucking kill this guy. Uh, Didn't work out. Whatever, the match gets uh, canceled. So Vince is like, you know, always take a negative and turn it to a positive. The basic storyline of the wrestler was a guy who's staying in the spotlight too long. And Vince came up with this idea that it's going to be you versus three guys who, in your opinion, should retire. They shouldn't be trying to hang on the spotlight. They're done. Three guys that he chose were Jimmy Snuka, Roddy Piper, and Greg Valentine. I said, Vince, with all due respect, I love the idea, but you're not giving me much to work with here. The, the match is going to be bad. Like neither, All three of those guys weren't very mobile at the time. Yeah. And Vince is like, I don't care. The match is not supposed to be good. I'm like, it's WrestleMania. How can I go out there knowing I'm going to have a stinker of a match? And he goes, well, who do you suggest? And, and I said, well, um, I got a couple ideas. He said, well, here's the rules. Each guy has to um, have been in the first WrestleMania, and they have to be in the WWE Hall of Fame. And I go, well, how are those the rules? Like, 
Well, those are the rules. Well, they're your rules. No one knows the rules. You haven't said anything, but in his mind, thus was it. So, because I was originally going to say, well, take Valentine out and put Jerry the King Waller in, because King had never worked WrestleMania, but he wasn't in the first WrestleMania. Then, one of my all time heroes, Rick Steamboat, had just started back with the company. So, what about Steamboat? Thought about it for a bit and put Steamboat in. So, um, it ended up being a really cool uh, angle where every week I would go and insult these guys and each guy had his own moment. And it was actually the last great promo of Roddy Piper's career was when um, we were going to do a promo in Tacoma, Washington. And they gave him a sheet of paper. And I said, he goes, I, I, I'm not good with these lines. And remember, I said, take that paper and throw it away. I want the Roddy Piper who carried the company on his back to WrestleMania 1. Because like you just said earlier, Hogan was the star. But Piper was the antagonist. With right. no Piper, there's no WrestleMania with that huge match that everybody wanted to see. Right. And I said, take the notes, throw them away, be Roddy Piper. Be pissed off. And he went out there and cut this amazing promo about how, you know, I don't I'm not holding on the spotlight, I'm doing this for the fans. This 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 this, this grandson came up to me and said, I used to watch you, Roddy, with my grandfather, and when I see you, it reminds me of the good times I had with my grandfather. And it's like people are crying. And he's like, and because of your grandfather, because of this kid, and because anybody who ever loved Roddy Piper or who loved wrestling, I will crawl down to the ring on my hands and knees if I have to, to make memories for people and keep smiles on their faces. And people were just like, Piper. And it was like, the la- you can watch it on YouTube. It's the last great performance that he ever had. And once again, a little genius move from Vince, because then I attack Piper, but he goes, kick him in the shin. I go, what? He goes, kick him in the shin. And then when he goes down, punch him in the face. I go kick him in the shin. He goes, what's the cheapest move you could ever do to someone? Kicking them in the shin. Yeah. And it was just like such an asshole thing to do. <laughs> right. But yeah, it, it, it was it was a great storyline, a great buildup. And then when we had the match, Steamboat at 58 years old or whatever he was, yeah. hadn't wrestled in 10 years, was still better than 85% of the roster because he's Ricky fucking Steamboat. So we actually had some good stuff in there and had a pretty cool match. And then at the end... This is a long story. I told you this was going to happen. At the end, Mickey Rourke showed up. He was in the crowd. He comes. He comes in the ring and knocks me out. Now, fast forward or, or rewind to the day before when we're going over the match, and I'm walking to the ring, and I find out Rourke is there. Oh, that's cool. And I'm walking to the ring, and the, our publicist comes up to me, and she goes, "Mickey's really pissed off at you." I said, "Why?" From the Larry King thing. I said, "Well, did you tell him I was just working?" She goes, "No." I'm like. Thanks a lot. So I go in the ring and Mickey Rourke's standing there with these three big guys. And yeah. one of them is Frank Shamrock. I recognize yeah, yeah. him immediately. One of right. the toughest guys in UFC history. Yeah. Some other guy looks like a fucking psycho and some giant guy. And they're all just standing there staring at me. So I go in the ring and I say, hey, Mickey, and gives me the fake Hollywood huggy brother. And So we're talking a bit and I go, you do understand that the Larry King thing was me just playing a character. He goes, bullshit. He goes, where I come from, and boxing, you talk like that, you want to fight. I said, well, first of all, it's not boxing, it's wrestling. And I said, dude, like, you just were up for an Oscar for playing a wrestler. Like, <laughs> you have to understand what we're doing here. And it took me a while to get to him, and I finally said, so you were just acting? I said, yeah, he goes, here I am, the Oscar winner, Oscar nominee, and you outacted me. And after that, he was like my best friend ever. Like he got it. He sent me acting books. He told me to come stay at his house. And if I ever had an audition, he'd read lines with me. And we got to do a movie together. Of course, I haven't seen him since. But he was so impressed by the fact that I had outacted him and fooled him into thinking that I really hated him, even though he was playing a wrestler. 
And so these three guys were there to kick three guys, your ass. Yeah, so he, if, oh, sorry, yes, thanks. He said to me, I flew these guys in <laughs> on my own dime to kick your ass if I attacked you. Three of them. Three of them. And one of them I found out afterwards was Frank Schaumark, some other UFC guy, and some Israeli and, like bounty hunter. It's like can kill with his hands. And the best part of all was I told Vince because he was out there going over it. And I said, like, Rourke threw those, flew those three guys in to, to, to kick my ass if I attacked him. He goes, what, those three guys? He goes, you, me, Malenko, and Finley will kick all their asses. And I said, okay. He goes, especially that one. Look at that midget pointing at Frank Shamrock. I'll kick that, that midget. That kick. I said, well, if we attack them, I'll take Rourke. You take the midget. Like, <laughs> right, I well. That's like I didn't have the heart to tell him it was Frank Shamrock. Okay, but... Being a heel at the and I think you were doing your no old no country for old men yes. version of Jericho at the time, which was such a stoic sort of evil heel. And I feel like see, I've been trying to rack my brain over the last week trying to figure out why I stopped watching Raw. I watched Raw for twenty years straight, and then last year I just lost interest. And I think the problem is I don't hate anybody on that show, so there's no joy for me. When um, a good guy comes in and saves somebody and, you know, then there's a, yay, the good guy won. What, was it difficult in, in that time to disrespect the legends, the guys that you had looked up to that much? No, because once again, it's my, it's my job. And I was, once, this is in that time frame when I was really hot as a heel. Yeah. And it really, and, and God bless Snooker, he was kind of out to lunch at that point in time, but uh, Steamboat was good, but Steamboat was never much of a, of a promo. He was good, but the Piper one drew money. Yeah. And then Flair was involved too. I forgot about that. So that that was another one that, that drew money because you had the, the guys in there that knew how to sell tickets. And um, it's not hard to be a heel if you are committed because that's our job. A lot of people don't want to be hated. A lot of people don't like being attacked on the street. A lot of people don't like, you know, not having the merchandise checks or whatever it is. Whatever reason. I don't know if I can play that character now because I'm older, but at the time I was right into it. I fucking – there's a cross between uh, Anton Chigurh for No Country for Old Men and Nick Bockwinkle, a very slow-talking, calm psychopath who's telling you that I'm going to kill you and this is just the way it is. I'm sorry. It's fate. Combined with Bockwinkle who used big words, talked over everybody's head and wore suits all the time. That was that character. He killed people with a staple gun, I think. Uh, it was like a, a cow. He would put an air a hole in your head or whatever it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was a great movie. Who's left in the business who can play that level of heel where I, I hate them enough that I, I'm joyous when the good guy wins? Well, once again, it's hard because, like I said, when you're a great heel, chances are you're very entertaining. Unless you're a psycho heel, and that's hard to play because people kind of know you're fake unless you could really be extra violent like Bruiser Brody or – like me in Japan now – I adapted a very Bruiser Brody attitude. You just beat the shit out of the guys. And Bruiser was six foot six. I'm not. But in Japan now, like I said earlier, I'm one of the bigger guys on the on the show. So that gets people to think once again, this guy's off his rocker. And while these guys are performing this high, intense, amazing—I don't want to use the word ballet—but you know, uh, uh, a routine. This other guy's just kicking people in the face and punching them in the head, and that guy's crazy. It's off his rocker. In this country, I mean, if you're talking about AJ, MJF is a great heel, but he's he's so entertaining. Put him on weekly TV for three months, maybe six, he'll be the most popular babyface in the company. 
because he's a great heel and he's hilarious. You know, yeah. He, you know, I was watching something the other day where he was, you know, it was like some female interview, and it's like he, he goes, his caption on Instagram was like, you know, don't push the envelope, MJF. I rip it in half, and she's this MJF. Like, I'm here with Tits McGee from Whore Island, and it's like, you know, it's like who can say that? But he doesn't give a shit. Yeah, you know, so uh, he's a great heel. Um, he irritates me. Yes, he does. Yeah. But and maybe he'll continue to irritate you, it's and good. that's what you want. Yeah, but he's so fucking good at what he does. Sooner or later, the tide will turn. That's just how it goes. Oh yeah, you know, unless you're like someone like the Miz, like when they try and make the Miz a babyface, it doesn't work because he's very annoying. Right in real life, and 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 Maxwell kind of is too. So maybe he'll be able to to, to walk that line. But if you're talking about a true killer heel i look in the WWE, drew mcintyre samoa joe those are the guys that should be run, running ramp rum rap yeah. rub shot ramp shot rough shot Roughshod. across everybody yeah they don't do it they do it they don't do it they do it if it was in my hands i would just have them destroy everybody until you get to the hogan baby face this is what vince used to do in the 80s he'd bring in a new heel he beats up everybody until hogan wins you know so you could still get that type of heel but you have to book them properly that's the difference, you know. It, you have to tell the right stories with them because it gets harder and harder as people become smarter. But they still want to believe. Like if you go to a movie, obviously, you know what did I see this week? Uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood. I know. Spoiler: You know, Brad Pitt really didn't kill the chick by bashing her face into the fireplace. But when you're watching it, oh, you get into it. It's like, oh my god, that's so violent. You can still just make people believe in wrestling, but you have to be good at what you do, and you have to be committed. Well said. All right, I'm going to ask you about AEW and uh, and uh, what you've been doing now, and, and give you a chance to talk to us about um, All Out. But first, I need to tell you about our sponsors. Yes. All right, let's talk about our sponsor, Blue Chew, BlueChew.com. Blue Chew brings you the world's first chewable pill with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. Because it's chewable, it works about twice as fast as your normal erectile dysfunction pills. And let me tell you from personal experience, I have been working in the adult film industry for about 20 years. I am a director, and I tell you, I know good erectile dysfunction pills and how important that they can be in your life. Blue Chew works. They're effective, they're safe, they're shipped right to your home. You get to uh, get them prescribed online. You don't need to go to a doctor's office and explain embarrassing details about erectile dysfunction. You don't need to go stand in line in the pharmacy. You just go to bluechew.com. Tell them that I need help with erectile dysfunction. An online doctor will work with you write you a prescription online and ship right to your door and it works. I personally, as a 50 year old man uh, who uses these pills, highly recommend them. So let's make it a no brainer for you. If you have not already tried Blue Chew, I don't know what you're waiting for, but, but here's the deal. Use our promo code ADULT, A-D-U-L-T, and you will get your first shipment of Blue Chew for free. <laughs> yep, I just said that, free. All you have to do is pay $5 shipping at that point. Again, that's promo code ADULT. So go to BlueChew.com. That's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. Promo code ADULT. Try your first pill for free and perform on demand. There you go. BlueChew.com. You were just talking about heels and, and who you would, uh, who you think are the best heels of today. 
First, let's talk about your last few years with WWE and how you were used. Because at some point, you emerge as one of the elite wrestlers in the world, a guy that can carry the company, a guy that should be competing for the world championship every time. And all of a sudden, you're being booked to give a rub and put over guys like Fandango. And, and I'm just going to say real quick, you know, I've never claimed to be a wrestling expert. But what I would have done with you, and you can just, you know, throw this away or whatever, is... You know, like all these other guys leave wrestling to go do their thing, doing something else, just like you were with Fozzie. And they come back and, and you know, uh, uh, Brock Lesnar is an attraction and Cena is an attraction. Right. They could have made you the head of an evil stable, you know, like this mastermind who comes in and organizes something. Like the big boss comes in at the end of the movie to do some things. And then you leave for a while. In the meantime, your, your stable of monsters like Samoa Joe could have been doing something and then you can come back in and, you know, and, and, but instead they're using you to put other guys over. Were you unhappy with this? I mean, I, I don't see it that way. And I think a lot of people overestimate that, uh, uh, aspect. I mean, part of wrestling is losing. And part of wrestling, especially for me, I mean, who else has 29 years of experience in the business that wrestles, not full-time, but still wrestles more than, you know, once a year? Nobody. Right. Not, I mean, Triple H, he, I, I, he might have started before me. I don't think so. Dustin did. But I, I've never been injured. I took time off from here and there, but I'm still around. So part of what I do is to put new guys over. And also being a professional – I can lose to anybody. It doesn't fucking matter. I'm still Chris Jericho. I think my last run in WWE, and this is the problem I had with it. I went back. It was going to be for a short run. I started doing the thing with with, with Kevin Owens, and we, I extended my contract. We had this great storyline. Great chemistry with that guy. I knew it from the first time we ever, we ever had a promo together. Probably the best story on the show was, was, was Jericho and Owens, the best friends, and all the dastardly stuff we were doing until... He finally turns on me, Festival of Friendship, you know, and then we have this big WrestleMania match, the confrontation. Now, originally, that was going to be the main event for the world title. Owens was the champion, and, and I was going to beat him in the main event of WrestleMania as a babyface. Uh, Goldberg and Brock had a match. Brock really liked it. He wanted to have a rematch. He'll put Goldberg over, but it has to no, – wait. He'll, uh, he'll have, uh, he put Goldberg over. He'll have a rematch, but only if he beats Brock. Goldberg for the title. That was Brock's. So they changed it. Like one week, Vince says it's going to be you versus Owens in the main event WrestleMania. You're going to win the title. Fuck yeah! Next week, he doesn't tell me, but I hear that it's changed, and it's it's Owens. Or it's a, a Brock and, and Goldberg for the title. And not only did they take us out of the main event, and once again, just because I was told it, I have no right to it. Things change all the time. I've been around. I'm a big boy. I get it. But to take us from the main event slot. And then move us to the second match on the show, in a show that has 12 matches on it. I was like, that's a fucking insult. And I didn't even realize it at the time. But afterwards, about, I guess about three or four weeks later, I was like, wait a second. Second on the show? That's where you put some, it wasn't even first. Like first, first match on the show at a WrestleMania is a very important match. Maybe even second only to the main event. But by putting a second, to me, that was an insult. And it's like, it doesn't matter now what I do. I have the best storyline for a year. And it's still not going to get me higher on the card than second at WrestleMania. I need to leave. Because that's how you know. When, when, when the time comes where you start getting put in that spot as an ancillary guy, no. Then when we kind of I went through this whole thing where 
you know, I, I went on tour with Fozzie, and then I worked the show with Kenny uh, Omega in Japan at the Tokyo Dome, and this whole new world of creativity opened up, and this whole new star power for Chris Jericho, and money drawing. We drew a lot of money for New Japan at that Dome show, and that's kind of how the whole road to AEW started. And now with AEW, um, not the face of the company, but but definitely the bridge. And what I mean by that is I'm the one who brings people that don't know what AEW is to the show. If you're a wrestling fan, you're going to know who Chris Jericho is. You might not know Kenny Omega. You might not know the Young Bucks or any of these guys. But Jericho's there. I know him. I know his history. I've been watching him for 29 years or whatever it is, 20 years, 15 years. I'll check the show out. And then when you come check the show out and see me and see all these other guys, you're hooked. That's what happened with New Japan. They came to see me and they left being Kenny fans, Osprey fans, Young Bucks fans, Okada fans, Naito fans, etc., etc., etc. So I think that's why it was very smart for Tony Khan and very necessary to get me on his show because there's not a lot of other people that could have done that. Right. You, you may not call yourself the face of the company, but you can call yourself the standard bearer for the company then because... I agree. And I, I didn't know that term until you just said it, but that's exactly it. Like I said. Um, I made it up. <laughs> I, I'm the guy that people who don't know what AEW is go, well, at least I know that guy. Yeah. And we like him. He's always been good. Yeah. So let's go check it out. You're going to put a show on TNT and you want people to watch That's it. That's right. And also, too, at the time, there was no TNT. So when they go to TNT, they say, well, who you got on your show? Yeah. Well, we got the Young Bucks. Never heard of him. We got uh, Cody. I remember him from years ago. Jericho. Oh, Jericho's back and he's on your show? Well, that's interesting. Hmm. I think that kind of helped a lot. And it was great business by Tony. And it was Listen, I had no intention of ever wrestling anywhere other than for Vince. Again, then the Japan thing came up. I basically got Vince's blessing and got his blessing to sign some more shows. When the AEW thing came up, I told him, this is a real thing, and this is the offer. And he said, take it. So I took it, and when I told him, he went, you took it? Can you get out of it? I said, you told me to take it. He didn't match it. He didn't try. Once I signed, suddenly everybody gets double raises. Yeah. Because he doesn't want anyone to leave. So just from that alone... I now made everybody in the business double what they are making. And for that, I demand a thank you. <laughs> you should get a thank you. And, you know, everybody from AEW is saying, uh, well, we're not competition for, uh, you know, WWE. We're an alternative. Except yeah. you, who tweets the truth. Well, I mean, is... and that's part of my job is to stir the shit. Good. You know, um, like I said, like it's a famous story. I don't know if you're a hockey fan, but in like 72, Bobby Hall was the biggest player in the NHL, a new league called the WHA started and they signed Bobby Hall for a million dollars in 1972 which is probably I don't know 20 million whatever as soon oh, as really? he a million bucks a in million 1972 bucks. yes a million bucks and he went okay I'm going and my dad was playing for the New York Rangers at the time making 35 grand a year as soon as Bobby Hall signed he got a new contract in the mail for 100 grand don't leave yeah. and the whole league made more money because of Bobby same thing happened in WWE because of Jericho so that's how I know we might not think it's competition, or they might not say it. It's a war. And I told the guys, like, we don't want a war. You got a fucking war. Because right. Vince is now opening the pocketbook, which he should have before, because he can afford it, to make sure. And these are prelim guys making 400 grand a year, 500 grand a year. That wouldn't make 40 bucks on an indie. But he doesn't want anybody to leave. So that's how, you know, I told them, like, you guys have to be ready. This is, this is Vince about ready to fight back. And it's like, you know, I told Cody a couple days ago, winter is coming. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, like they're coming and you might think that it's not going to be bad. But when you see one of them all lined up against the wall and they're coming in, you better watch out, guys, because it's a war. And I've been in it before. I was there when there was the Monday Night Wars in 1999 and 1998.
I was at the last day, the first AEW event. It was the intensity from every wrestler on the card, especially yourself, definitely showed. In Vegas, yeah. In Vegas. It was going to be a war. Well, I want to talk to Chris now about the Festival of Friendship, one of my favorite moments in WWE history. But first, I need to talk about another one of our great sponsors, Sext Panther, sextpanther.com. That's S-E-X-T. P-A-N-T-H-E-R dot com. Sex Panther is your way of meeting and building an intimate relationship and bond with some of your favorite adult performers. Many of those performers who have been on our show, like Christy Canyon, Ginger Lynn, Christina Rose, Kimberly Chi, are available for you to start texting today. And you can text them just things like, how's your day? Or you can sext with them and they will send you pictures of themselves and videos, and you can talk to them on the phone. So it's really a great way to get to know the performers. And this is huge, because 20 years ago when I first started watching adult entertainment, everyone was a sort of a mystery. You really didn't get to know the performers. And now you do. Now you get to know them up close and personal. So many of you have said that you love the performers, but you don't like to see as much their rehearsed performances where they're on sets with makeup on and they're they're reading lines from scripts or they're doing what the director tells them to. You want to get to know the real person behind the person. And you can do that with Sex Panther. That's S-E-X-T-P-A-N-T-H-E-R.com. Go there today. Check it out. There's hundreds of performers on there. Meet your favorite performer. And if you are one of the many performers... And if you're one of the many performers who listens to the show, if you are not on Sext Panther yet, shame on you, because Sext Panther is the best way for you to build an intimate relationship with your fans. Get to know your fans in a way that separates the non-paying fans from the paying fans. This will let you know who really wants to support your career. And again, as a fan, it gives you a way to support your favorite adult film star or adult entertainer. It's not just adult film stars. So there you go. Check it out. It's Sex Panther, S-E-X-T-P-A-N-T-H-E-R.com. But I have to go back real quick to the Festival of Friendship. I just can't not talk about this because the Festival of Friendship match where you came out with your top hat and everything... Okay, so you mentioned Brad Pitt a moment ago. That guy is the best actor of our generation. He I can agree. do more with the facial expression than most people can do in an entire movie. There's a scene with him and George Clooney. I can't remember the name of the movie, but George Clooney is like an ex-CIA guy. Ocean's and... Eleven. No, no. Oh. It was... So Brad Pitt ends up in his closet somehow, and he opens the closet door. And then Brad, Brad Pitt, who had just been there to meet up with a girl for an affair, but somehow they... It was wrong room or something like that. But anyway, George Clooney opens the door, finds this guy in his closet, and shoots him. But the look on, for one second on Brad Pitt's face was enough to re- for me to remember ten years later how much expression he, he how much he expressed in one second, which is a long way of getting to the festival of friendship. I watched your intro, just you walking out to the ring that day, and I cannot stop rolling on the floor laughing, even without marijuana, which is my usual. Did you rehearse the facial expressions? Do you go to that much trouble before something like that? I didn't. uh, uh, It was Burn After Reading. It was the Coen Brothers movie that you talked about. Yes, thank you. I couldn't remember it in my head. Um, So here's what that was for me, and this was – I had pitched that – Months before, yeah, I knew it had to end at the festival of friendship 
in Las Vegas. Yeah. And I want dancing girls and I want magicians and I, I wanted a donkey. Like I wanted everything. I didn't get it all. But um, what that was, because it was the big uh, uh, betrayal of yeah. Kevin Owens to me. Yeah. And what I wanted it to be, I wanted it to start as a David Lee Roth video and end yes. as, as the Red Wedding. Yeah. Games, right? Okay. One of the most shocking moments in television history. And that's what I can't. It's told if you watch, you know, just the Gigolo. Yes, or, I was just about to say just the Gigolo. Right from that playbook. Right. Okay. It actually might be actually yeah, just the Gigolo specifically. Going crazy is another one. Yankee Rose, but more specifically, uh, 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 just the Gigolo. So that's I wanted it to start where people are like, holy shit, this is cheesy. This is campy, and oh my gosh, and we had the the. The, the big painting of like Owens and Jericho with like Michelangelo touching God, but it's my face and his face. And Vince's one thing was he wanted a, a sculpture, like two people entwined, and that was him. And then I had Friendship the Magician. And that's like, it has to be, his name has to be Friendship the Magician. And he's the shit. So I put him on the list and he fucks off. And then we, you know, he gives me a present and it's like the list of KO. And it's like, why am I, why is why my, is my name, name on, on the list? list? The thing, so why, why, why is my name on this? The classic line I look up. And he attacks me. I, I wanted to be like – it's funny too because there was people – someone at the highest position was fighting me. That's like, no, he would just attack you. I said, you're missing the fucking drama of this, man. Right. I said – this is how I explain it. If I'm watching a, a, a horror movie, let's say I'm watching Halloween, the new Halloween that just came out. Yeah. And I open a closet, Brad Pitt, and you see the killer and you're like, oh, I'm so fucked. Oh, and then he kills you. Yeah. That's one way. Other way is – Somebody cuts your head off from behind. You never see it coming. There's no dread. There's no fear. There's no drama. It's that moment of like, oh, no, please, no, boom. That was what I wanted. Yeah. Why is my name on this? Look up. Fuck no. And there he comes. Yeah. So, yeah, it was all what I had envisioned and planned for months. And then it, it turned out so great. It's one of the best – Once again, I hate saying this sort of shit without sounding – you know, it's one of the best moments in raw history because yes. you had an eight month story and people go, Oh, we saw it coming. Bullshit. Cause we had teased it so many times right. back and forth. You never saw it coming right. until it actually happened. You didn't know for sure. Right. 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 It's top five. Yeah. Most entertaining moments in the history of pro. But then the swerve where it's just like, no, 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 don't do it, Kevin. Like people are even saying that like, no, why would you do this? <laughs> so, um, and once again, like I said earlier, I mean, this is, this is a great piece of TV you know, KO's involved and the writers, everyone's pitching in, but this is my vision. And even with all of this, we're still second on the card at WrestleMania. And I was like, eh, I, I, I don't know. Not from a bad standpoint. Which I get the business. I've been on a long time. When you start, if it was the old days, it would be the territory where you go to a territory and if you come in on top and you start going down the card, you know it's time to leave fucking Portland and go to Calgary. Yeah. And then a year later when it's starting to happen in Calgary, you leave Calgary, go to Dallas. And then yeah. you go to Florida and you go to Toronto. Like that's how you stayed relevant. Because when you're just the old whore on the street that is giving blowjobs to everybody and they're just sick of you, even though your blowjobs are the best, they'll go to somebody else, right? <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Perfect for the mature audience. Yeah, there you go. There's the mature Thank audience. Thank you for yeah. throwing that in there. Um, if, because you were so joyful coming out, yeah. it doesn't work if you're the one that turns on him, right? No, At that exactly. point, yeah, it has to be. Because the whole time, too, like he was kind of like, oh, really? Like This is what we're doing here? Which also worked because that was the dynamic that we had, too. Like, you know, if one guy was super excited, it wouldn't be like two idiots jumping up and down. It would be like one guy's kind of like, really? Is this what we're doing now? It's a festival of friendship? Okay, well, I got you a present. And I'm like, oh. All of that stuff 
and there was such great stuff. The stuff of the shark cage in San Antonio and beating Roman Reigns and all the interviews we did. It was a really magical time. And like I said, for me, at that point in time, in 2016, going into 2017, to have one of the best runs of my career, I thought, this is so special. Little did I know that I'd go on to have an even better run in Japan and then start the whole AEW thing. Like, in 2015, I was planning, not like I said, not retiring, because that's not the proper term. But I was like, I don't know how much more I can do in the business. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. And then suddenly all this stuff happens, and you're like, why am I going to retire? Why am I going to stop? I'm, I'm still kicking ass. I'm still creatively, uh, creatively contributing, having fun. Yeah. People are enjoying it. Why stop? You're still eliciting emotions. Exactly. And that's... getting a chance to be creative. Yeah. That to me is the biggest thing. If, if something doesn't stimulate me and make me excited about it, then I'm not going to want to do it. But this is all very exciting stuff. It still is to this day. A quick note before we move on from your WWE history, and I do want to come back to AEW in a minute so you can talk about uh, All Out. Um, uh, Chris wrote a book that is a self-help book. It is a motivational book. He talks about the Mike Damone principle, which is basically that uh, wherever you are, that's the best place to be. And uh, and that relates a lot to his time in the WWE doing some things that he didn't necessarily want to do and how he turned all the lemons into lemonade. So do go check out that book and his other books, which are all uh, fantastic. Um, I like that you actually narrated your own audio book this time instead of... Yeah. Um, well, I was supposed to do the first one too, but it was one of those, the deal sucked and the, the, the conditions were the... And I was like, you know what? I'm not doing it. And it's very rare for me to say that, but then you know they get some Shakespearean actor to read it, and he's talking about six nineteen. Six nineteen, and I don't know. I'm hearing about this. I'm like, oh, I have to read the next one. And I'll tell you this too: one of the hardest things I've ever done is read your audio book. It is hard because you can't stumble your words, right. and you try reading. You know, even though this was a shorter book, two hundred fifty pages. That's a lot of time. It took me probably fifteen hours to read that shit. Not easy to do. That's why when I direct movies, I don't give people a script. Mm -hmm. It's I would rather just create a scenario for improv sure. without trying to get somebody to speak lines. Right. All right, it's time for the segment of our show where we talk about mature subjects that are for mature audiences only. But first, I want to talk about another one of our great sponsors, Savage Sin Clothing. Savage Sin Clothing can be found at Savage Sin Clothing. Dot com. That's S-A-V-A-G-E-S-I-N clothing.com. The Savage Sin clothing is just cool clothing for great people. It's casual clothing that you can wear just about anywhere. If you go to their website, browse with me. I'm looking in the men's section right now. I see a shirt that says, live fast, fight hard. I see a shirt with a skull on it. I see a shirt that says, never, never trust the living. A uh, lot of cool products in here. There's not just clothing for men. There's clothing for females as well. There's tank tops. There are bikinis. Here's a bikini that says censored. A bikini that says, uh, well, they're called lick panties. I like that. How about a uh, tank top that says not your babe? Or a tank top with a lollipop that says suck it. Yes, this is great clothing. This is the kind of stuff I like to wear. And this is the kind of stuff I like to see. Go check them out. Browse through their website. You're going to find something for everybody. It's high-quality materials shipped from right here within the United States, not the kind of stuff that shrinks up and disappears after you put it in the washer. We're talking about good-quality shirts. So go check it out. 
And as always, I'm going to make this a no-brainer for you. Try this out. Um, Support our sponsors. Support the podcast. Buy the products. And do it by getting a 40% discount and free shipping. Yeah, that's right. 40%. That's not a small discount. That's almost half your order. 40% discount. Use the promo code KINGSIN. That's K-I-N-G-S-I-N. That uh, And that'll get you, again, 40% discount and free shipping. So go check it out today. That's SavageSinClothing.com. Um, all right, so we're going to come back to AEW in a second. But because this is the Mature Audiences podcast or the Mature Audiences Mayhem, you have to put a pause when you say the mayhem, I think, of the new podcast here. Mature, Mature Audiences, audiences. Mayhem. Exactly. Uh, so let's. I want to ask you a little bit about the nightlife of wrestlers because y'all are pretty famous for those things. Uh, one thing that comes to mind for me, so we all remember the movie Rockstar where you had like a big line of girls outside of Mark Wahlberg's and then one girl shows uh, um, Jennifer Aniston her number. It's like, hey, what number did you get? <laughs> so, of course, I know you're a happily married man. I'm not speaking specifically about anything here, but – the life of the rock stars or the wrestlers or both, how far off is that from a lot of what goes on? I think it's guys? really changed. Like if you're talking about rock star that was kind of based in the 80s. And when I when I started in the 90s, it was like pretty crazy, right? Um, and stayed that way for a long time. These days it's not. I mean the, the, the knock is like guys just go in the room and play video games. That really is true. There's a lot of video game playing. and uh, But guys are smarter now. Yeah, there was you know I was never a drug guy. I was never a pill guy. Thank thank goodness for that. Drinking, yes, but a lot of the guys from my generation were big into pills, big into drugs, and a lot of them aren't here anymore. Yeah. But what it used to be like is that everybody would stay in the same hotel, and when everybody stays at the same hotel, the fans know you're going to be there. That was when you'd have parties in the lobby, and there'd be you know chicks everywhere. Now everyone stays in different places. Everyone travels separately. There really is no after-show party, per se. And that goes for music, too. Like, I've noticed over the years in rock and roll, like, most guys, like, there's not a lot of crazy partying. And it's smart guys are are living longer. I mean, there's a huge rash of deaths, uh, you know, let's say 10 years ago. All these fucking guys in wrestling, not fucking guys, a lot of my friends, but it, 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 it made drug tests go through the roof, um, made guys think differently. I mean, nobody wants to die before they're 40. And you had a whole list of, like, some of the greats dying before they're 40. I mean, both Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero, two of my best friends I've ever had, both died before they were 40 years old. I mean, come on, right? So I think as a result, they're smarter. And also because it's more spread out as far as where people are staying and where they go, it's not like it used to be. Where, like, WCW, they would pay for most of the guys' rooms, so there would be a big party afterwards and everyone would know where to go. WWE doesn't pay for rooms, so no one really knows where to go. And if you want to find trouble, you can find it. Um, and also the ebb and flow of wrestling, you know, if it's super popular, more people know. And you get more, you know, into the bars quicker and more people want to talk to you. When wrestling's not as popular, no one knows who the fuck you are anyway. So it all depends <laughs> what time what time it is, you know. But I'll say this. Like I said, life on the road is life on the road. Um, there's always adventures, and there's a lot of trouble to get into if you want to. There's also a lot of trouble to avoid if you want to. And as you get older, you get smarter and realize, I can drink just as much in my room and bring some friends over and control the music. And I don't have to worry about some guy trying to punch me in the face or taking a picture of me, you know, peeing on the floor in the middle of the bar, whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. 
Um, but speaking of drinking, though, let me get a drinking story out of you because I think everyone knows about, or wrestling fans know about the plane ride from hell, which you were not on. But you probably have seen stories that are equivalent where all the wrestlers just basically passed the point of control and it was just mayhem. We used to go to um, this club. So, so, And this was a, another example of just crazy shit. In WCW, you would go to Orlando and tape two weeks of, uh, of Worldwide, it was called, which are like syndicated TV. Yeah. And... None of the top stars were there. None of the Hogans or Nashes or Halls. It was just me and a hundred guys, and everyone was just nuts. And it's right when uh, ecstasy became a thing. So you would go. We would all stay kind of in this area. It was called uh, I can't remember the place that had a bar in it called Pineapple Pete's, whatever that's called. But you would go to downtown Disney, and this once again, this is pre Uber. This is pre like you know, no one's taking time. Everyone's just fucking driving themselves, fucked up, you know, stealing the hotel van that takes people to the airport um i remember one specific guy actually drove that hotel van into the lobby um you know stuff like that and we would go to uh eight tracks it was a disco bar in downtown disney since closed yeah everyone would go and you'd take some ecstasy and just fucking dance and you would be dancing and sweating you just dancing, dancing dancing and then afterwards you'd go kind of into the area like there's like a street and you would just kind of hang out and talk and maybe talk to some girls at the park bench over here taking one of the bushes over there whatever it may be and i remember like every time you'd just be sitting there talking and it's a very touchy-feely drug it's a very talkative drug ecstasy and um talking 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 and then suddenly you realize that the birds are chirping and like oh holy shit it's daytime like what time is this? 8.30. Fuck, we got to be at work at 9 because we would film at Disney, at Disney, MGM Studios and it was an attraction for the park. It'd be like, okay, go to the roller coaster and go to the Back to the Future ride and come see live WCW wrestling. And they would tape at 9, 11, 1, and 3. Uh-huh. You had to be at work at 9 and you didn't know if you were working or not, you would find out when you got there. And if you weren't working at 9, you maybe you could go into a corner somewhere and try and go to sleep. And this is like a hundred dudes and everybody's fucking loaded. Yeah. And if you used to watch worldwide in the nineties, yeah, I'd say five out of the 10 matches on the show. Guys were drunk. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If you take an ecstasy, I mean, that does not, and you're drinking too. And like I said, you just be wired. Right. (laughs) And you just be like, I can't, I haven't taken ecstasy in years, but at the time you're just like, yeah, give me two, give me three, give me four. And you'd be fucking just out of it. And I, like, I remember one time I went out with some other dudes and we ended up getting in a street fight and I was out at, uh, at at eight tracks, and the bookers, Terry Taylor and Kevin Sullivan, were also hanging out there. And then I went out, got some kind of street fight, got punched in the face. I had a cut in my eye. I I, I, I show up, you know, uh, the next day with no sleep, feeling like prison ass. It's terrible. And I look, and I'm working at nine. 11, 1, and 3. And it's because the guys saw me out uh-huh. losing my mind. Right. But, you know, that's what you got to do. I remember I was with the uh, Gangrel, and it was like the first, the 9 o'clock in the morning one. It's like headlock puts me in a, it shoots me off, and he gives me a tackle, and he gave me the tackle. I remember hit, hitting, bumping on the tackle, and just going like, fuck this. Like, <laughs> I'm done. And then the very first episode of, of Thunder, WCW, yeah. the first one ever, yeah. Um, I show up and I'm working Ric Flair. It was like the first time I've ever worked Ric Flair. You know, like 1997, whatever. If you're not a Ric Flair fan as a wrestler, you fuck off, right? Uh, I grew up watching the Von Erichs. Ric Flair was sure. the ultimate and, heel for them. Well, yeah, he's one of the best. And you yes. just want. And I, the night before, I was there doing publicity. I think it was in it was in Jacksonville or something. I remember drinking like flaming drinks, 
Why? I don't know. And just having the worst hangover ever and showing up and going, you're like, I hope I'm not on the show. I'm on the show. No, 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 I'm not. Am I on the show? I'm like right near the top versus Ric Flair. And it's like, oh my gosh. Same thing. First tackle. I was like, take a tackle, third. And then boom. And it's like, oh, my head's exploded. It's not a good feeling to have this hangover and you have to be taking bumps. You know, you just want to go and yeah. fucking die. Yeah. But that's just part of the show. It's what you did. <laughs> somehow. Okay. I don't, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know how you do it, but um, somehow you do it. So, Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I, I've got pictures where there's a great picture of uh, Scott Armstrong. He works in WWE now to this day. Uh, I, I just I had passed out on the floor at eight tracks and he covered me and someone took a picture. He goes, "You gotta get the wins when you can, brother." And I'm just out. I'm out on the floor and he's just like covered with the, with the leg. He hooked the leg and he's smiling. I got you, Jericho. <laughs> the new two four seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was twenty years previous. <laughs> I gotta ask you our mature audiences question here. So I appreciate you you um, you doing this with with us and and. Well, oh, this is the to, secret question. Sport about this. Yeah. this is the secret question here. So, I once knew a guy who was obsessed with women's feet, okay? Right. And he, I thought he was the luckiest dude in the world because he knew what he liked. He knew what he wanted. Yeah. He would go sit on Melrose Avenue and just watch, he was sitting on the ground or on a bench or something and watch women's feet. Right. And so I'm like, man, what a lucky dude. And then I realized, okay, in a similar way, I'm like a scent guy. Right. Like I just and, and can go if women are wearing perfume or whatever, I can just enjoy being around a sexy girl who smells certain. Wonderful. Yeah, there's certain perfumes that are just nuts, right? Yeah. Exactly. It for me, I can be happy just from sense. It's it's the biggest thing for me. Do you have something that just lights you up like that with women? Is it if it's sexy ass, ass? Is ass. that what it is? Yeah, okay. ass. I mean. I think I remember when I first met my wife, the first thing I was attracted to was, was her ass, a great ass. Because to me, like, obviously things have changed. You can get an ass, but it looks like a fake ass. A real hot ass is A, genetically given to you, and B, you've got to put in some work. The other one is back muscles and shoulders because you can't – I mean, from this day, you probably can't get shoulder implants. But to me, it's like if you work out, that's the badge of honor. You can get tits, you can get an ass, you can, you know, whatever this, you know, you get fake hair, fake lips and all that stuff. And, and that's great on girls too, but, but a, a great, awesome, real ass and, and shoulders for me, shoulders is the one I don't, like I said, because, because you, you have to train to get them. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Ass and shoulders. Yeah. I've always been an ass guy. Yeah. Always, always. Even when I, I remember, I remember following Krista McDonald home when I was in grade six and she lived like. 20 minutes in the opposite direction and I just followed her so I could watch her ass. You know, and this is what you, what do you do in grade 6, 12, 11? Even then I was like, that's great. Uh-huh. Yeah. My website, uh, you know, we've made a living off of asses. <laughs> yeah. So I completely appreciate that. I'll, I'm going to ask you one more adult oriented question. You were once called by Vince McMahon, the most effeminate tough guy <laughs> you ever met. Yeah. Um, uh, but you're a legit tough guy. I mean, you're a manly man. I'm not saying this in a man attracted to man way, but I'm saying you're a manly man. It's that, but this part of your character, you want to be heelish, so on. Um, you, so you worked a lot of that into your character, especially when you confronted The Rock your first time. You had your hair up in a stupid little, um, you know, I say this respectfully. No, no, it's Gene Simmons top knot. Yeah. Yes. Got that from Gene. Yeah. Is that, was that difficult for you growing up as a tough guy in Canada? To, I wasn't to a tough be- guy, though. Like, I, I think one of the reasons why. 
and once again, tough guy, what does that even mean? But um, one of the reasons why I'm not afraid to have a fight and have no fear if someone challenges me uh, is because I, I was a pretty small kid, you know. I, I was one bully. His name is Chuck Fontaine. And when I was in grade eight, he used to fucking just torment me and torture me. And to this day, if I saw Chuck Fontaine today, I'd turn around and run screaming. <laughs> um so you know, not that it was always fight, but I always kind of had to, to to stand up for myself when the time was right, um, and even starting in wrestling once again as a smaller guy, you know, once nineteen ninety, five foot eleven, two hundred pounds, you're small, so there would be guys that would try and take liberties, especially when you went to other countries, Mexico, they didn't like the gringos being there, Japan, they didn't want foreigners there, and they would throw. I remember I just told the story earlier, my very first match at FMW for Japan, uh, one of the guys I was working with, this guy called Weda. He was, a, he was a, a kickboxing master. He wasn't a wrestler at all. They would use athletes from other sports, and he was kicking the fuck out of me. And I was like, fuck this, man. I went to the floor. I grabbed a chair. I came in the ring. I whacked him over the head as hard as I could. And he was like Mongo from Blazing Saddles. He was like, why'd you do that? But he stopped fucking with me. So I never had a problem with that. And as I get in the business, I think it's more attitude than anything. I'll, I'll, I'll in, a, in a snap of a finger... I won't fight, but I'll tell you to go fuck your ass. Like, I'm, I don't play games with me. And I don't want to fight you, but I'm just letting you know if you continue to poke me, I'm going to punch you in the fucking face. You might kill me, but I'm not going to let you get away with this. And I think when you have that attitude, it helps you, especially when you know, like, I've had a couple altercations backstage with a couple guys. Goldberg. Yeah, Goldberg, right. But one of the reasons why that was such a thing is because I didn't take it. And I think big guys, a lot of times, don't ever get confronted because they go on just intimidation if you're not intimidated and you don't give a fuck that goes away and it surprises guys and when you can surprise someone you can usually get the upper hand pretty quickly all right there you go before he gets irritated with me uh and then we have to go to blows here i'm gonna <laughs> give him an opportunity to wrap this up by promoting this incredible event that you're going to be doing uh all out yeah, man. I mean, I think the incredible event is just AEW in general. The fact we've been able to create this giant buzz from the moment. I mean, uh, uh, I think it was it called All In last year in Chicago. It was just something I think those guys, Cody and Bucks and Kenny, just did to see if they could do it. It was such a huge deal. It really was the, the genesis for where we are right now. Um, every show we've had on a major scale is sold out in hours. And I think... People are excited because it's something different. If we, I'm not even gonna say that it's something. If it, I don't even know, like if we, if we, if we play our cards right, if everyone does what they want, I don't. Maybe people want to see something completely different from WWE. I know this. There's no scripted promos. There's no writers. You write your own shit because that's what wrestling is. That's where it came from. Yeah. Austin three sixteen was written by Steve Austin. Right. You know, Y two J was written by Chris Jericho. Never ever again was written by Chris Jericho. All that stuff came from my head because I'm the one who has to deliver it. So I think just because I watched WWE and listen, I love WWE. I worked there for nineteen years. Um, but you can see when when people are saying shit that they don't buy. Right. And you got to say it because this is what Vince wants. If you don't say what he wants, you're going to hear about it. And if you don't do it the next time, you might not get promos anymore. So you read your shit and you do it. Most of these people aren't actors. The best characters are your own personality turned up to the 10th degree, like I said earlier. So AEW, we don't have that. Um, and I think people will be refreshed. And either, either you're going to sink or you're going to swim. And in the matches, 
there's no approving moves, this and that. I mean, we're going to have to get some guidelines, but the old school way of doing things in WWE is not what we do in AEW. And we have to do things differently. We have to be ourselves. We can't worry about WWE or Ring of Honor or Impact or New Japan or AAA or anything. We have to worry about us. What's our roster? We don't care if every person the WWE signed for the next 40 years. Doesn't matter. We got 40 guys of our own and guys that are coming to us like MJF, like Bucks, like Cody, like Kenny that don't want to sign anywhere else. Hangman Page. All of these guys had the opportunity to go to WWE. They decided not to because they want to do things their way. We're giving you a creative license to be the best you can be. You don't have that when you go to WWE and that's fine because that's the way they do things. We don't have that. So it's an alternative. It's an option. It's competition. Call it what you want, but what I call it is exciting. Very excited for this as a performer. I'm very excited for this as a fan because I'm still a wrestling fan. I always have been and I always will be. So to watch these guys and see what's going on and see who's in the mix. And I already know this guy's going to be a star. This guy's going to be a star. This guy, yeah, I don't know. But it's such a brave new world. And what I like is that there's obviously an audience for it to the point where, you know, on a Wednesday night in Washington, D.C., we sold 10,000 tickets in three hours for a show that's on a Wednesday night. It's not a sexy city like Vegas. It's not a sexy city like Chicago. It's not on a Saturday where people can fly in for a weekend vacation. It's a Wednesday in D.C. You ever been to D.C.? Nope. No offense. Yeah. Not the sexiest town. Yeah. It's not on my list. It's not, and nor should it be. I still can't think of one fun time I ever had in D.C., as a matter of fact. So, point being, that shows the commitment. And the fact we got on TNT, this is a legit national cable station there hasn't been another show that's been on a national cable station since wcw folded in 2000 that was also on tnt so there's a lot of elements at play where if i was a wrestling fan not in the business i'd be very excited right now you want to talk about the uh, specific match jericho versus hangman page yeah i mean i kind of jump forward to, to tnt but yeah i mean think, i think the fact that we're going back to chicago where all in started and I love the fact that that Hangman Page is the guy that I'm working with. It could very easily be Cody or Kenny or, or you know Moxley, but Hangman is one of those guys that we need to build, and he's got star potential. And this is what I love to do. What does he do good? How can I use my influence and my experience to make him look great? Whether he wins or loses, we don't know, but he's going to look great doing it. I'm Chris Jericho. People know my shit. They know what I do. They know my they know my story. They don't know his story. So to me, it's almost an open book to do whatever the fuck I want to make him look good. It's like being Johnny Carson. I don't have to be a star. I'm Johnny Carson. It's my show. I have to make my guest a star. Yeah. And Paige is my guest. But – and this is the last question or last yeah. point I want to make. it The impact of this match, which is the first championship match – so this on the Wikipedia page of AEW forever is going to say first yep. champion, first championship match. I still have my AEW ticket right. from the free first AEW event. So this is historical. What does that mean to you? What is, Lance Storm said something where the last time – I can't remember what he said. The, the, la, the last time I left a company to go somewhere – was in 1998 from TNT. So there's 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 a connection. There's a, there's there's a whole story here with Jericho and all the stuff that I've done. And to me, oh, I know what it was. I I um, combined the WCW and WWE titles to become the first undisputed yes, champion. Yes. And here I am, 
20 years later, becoming, you know, in the match to become the first AEW champion. Whatever, however you put it, it's very interesting that you go back almost 20 years and who was the guy that combined the two and was the guy. And here it is, a chance to do that again. Um, it goes back to what you said, the body of work. It's just another, it's one of, another one of the reasons why I came to AEW because WWE, it's going to go on forever. And I could go back to WWE and have a great time, but it doesn't matter if Chris Jericho goes or doesn't go. It matters for me to be in AEW because I can make a difference. We can make a difference. All of us can. And the chance to be the first undisputed AEW champion, I mean, um, you know, it's a show business, but it's like winning an Oscar. It's, it's something that, that my peers and my boss has decided this is the best way to go for the main event of you know, basically the biggest pay-per-view of our career that leads straight into TV. And whether Hangman's the champ or I'm the champ, I'm the one who's in charge of making it happen. I'm the one who's basically in charge of making the match great, making it memorable, making it something that people talk about. So that's a lot of pressure, but I like pressure, um, and I like the opportunity to, to be involved at this degree. And that, my friends, is why Chris Jericho is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Thank you so much, Chris Jericho. All right. Thanks, man.